0: It's the Media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Maybe I need a name for this opening portion of the podcast where I just kind of shoot the breeze on various topics that uh, pop up in the news and catch my eye. Maybe we'll just call it the chat. So we'll do the chat and then we'll get into the rundown. Everything's branding these days. So here, let's begin the chat by talking about the Washington Redskins. I don't see how that name is going to survive. Now, if you live in the D.C. area, you've been dealing with this for years and years. Many people, of course, finding the name offensive to Native Americans. Dan Snyder, the owner, refusing to change it. Uh, there's a story today saying that uh, he wants uh, to have a federally uh, to build a new football stadium uh, on the federally owned land where the old RFK baseball and football stadium was located, and D.C. officials, including uh, D.C.'s delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, are telling Mr. Snyder, uh, no way unless you change the name. You're not going to get this land. Here's uh, Norton. I call on Dan Snyder once again to face the reality, uh, since he does desperately want to be in the nation's capital. He's got a problem he can't get around, and he can't get around it today, particularly after the George Floyd killing. Other sports news, uh, we're gearing up for a resumption of the NBA season, but the commissioner, Aaron Silver, says that while he's pretty confident, he said in an appearance uh, yesterday that it's possible, uh, you know, that it won't happen. Never full steam ahead, no matter what he said. One thing we are learning about the virus is it's unpredictable. We and our players together with the union look at the data on a daily basis. We're testing daily and so on and so forth. Meanwhile... Uh, You all recall, of course, uh, the case of Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who was said to have committed suicide in prison. I know a lot of people don't buy that. Uh, The sexual abuser, the sexual predator, uh, the man who uh, exploited young girls. There's no question about that. Well, it was just revealed this morning that his longtime friend and associate, the British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested. She was sort of hiding out, arrested in New Hampshire, and charged with facilitating, I not know the exact legal charge, facilitating his alleged sexual exploitation and abuse of minor girls. So that may shed some light, uh, not only on her fate, but what uh, this horrible, depraved criminal uh, Epstein, who of course was friends with a lot of hotshots in the world of politics, business and elsewhere, uh, may have done. Uh, The first statue has come down in Richmond, Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. Took down a statue along what's called Monument Avenue of General Stonewall Jackson. Several hundred uh, people gathered and applauded. One supporter cried. Uh, There's at least three other statues. Uh, One, I think, is Jefferson Davis. That's going to come down as well. And this is not a bunch of protesters putting a rope and dragging the statue down. This is... Virginia authorities agreeing to take down these Confederate monuments. For this to happen in Richmond, you know, which is where Jefferson Davis conducted the war against Abraham Lincoln and the United States, uh, it just shows you how much things have changed, as has the decision by the Mississippi governor to sign that bill, uh, scrapping the Mississippi flag, which included uh, the parts of the Confederate stars and bars. Uh, meanwhile, how about that dramatic news from Russia? Vladimir Putin uh, pushes through his um, amendment or uh, measure to reform the uh, Kremlin's constitution that will allow him to stay in power until 2036. Now, of course, it was never any question in the way that that uh, government has run, the way that country is run that Putin would get uh, his um, his way. But here's what's interesting. So there was a decision by Russia's Election Commission, which I'm sure, like everything else, is controlled by Vlad. Um, while the voting was still going on, you know, they go through this pretense that it's a free and fair vote, to publish preliminary live results five hours before the polls closed. So the initial projection of 73% in favor of the amendment was in line with what pollsters had been saying, For critics, it was a trick, says The Independent, to boost turnout from a population tired of their longtime leader. Apparently, uh, Putin's popularity has dropped because of coronavirus, like that of a lot of world leaders. But nevertheless, well, we're now in 2020, so he can stay in power for another 16 years, by which time he'll probably be ready to pack it in, in one way or another. And on that Mary Trump book, and as I've said to you before, I don't really care about this book, I don't really care if it's published, but it is, you know, a test of the free press. So an appeals court a judge has lifted a temporary restraining order. I knew this would happen because there's no prior restraint under American law in which Mary Trump, the president's niece, offers this scathing portrait of the Trump family. The, the judge did say that, you know, it's possible that the publication could be constrained by uh, an agreement That she entered into, which she, you know, signed a contract saying in exchange for whatever, a settlement, financial settlement, I presume, um, that she wouldn't publish any book without the agreement of Donald Trump and his sister. But the judge also wrote the legitimate interest in preserving family secrets may be one thing for the family of a real estate developer, but no matter how successful, it is another matter for the family of a president of the United States passage of time and changes in circumstances may have rendered at least some of the restrained information less significant than it was at the time. And conversely, whatever public interest there may have been, basically saying is, look, the guy's president, he's famous. Uh, Maybe we have to set aside whatever deal was signed two decades ago. It strikes me as kind of unfair, but we'll see how it plays out. Meanwhile, President Trump taking a huge shot at Black Lives Matter, And this is, you know, this is basically a New York brawl because Bill de Blasio and the liberal leadership in New York want to paint, as they did in D.C., the words Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue, and not just any place on Manhattan's Fifth Avenue, near the Trump Tower, which is Fifth Avenue and 55th, 56th Street. Trump said this would be a symbol of hate and would wind up denigrating the street outside of his uh, office tower where he lives or used to live. Um, before he became president. He was really unloading on de Blasio. Um, and uh, Kayleigh McEnany was asked about this. Why is he saying Black Lives Matter is a symbol of hate? What she said it was, all black lives do matter. He agrees with that sentiment, but that he's talking about the group, the greater New York chapter of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and the guy who describes himself as the president of that New York chapter has been quoted as saying, if this country doesn't give us what we want, we will burn down this system and replace it. That's how she justifies the president's comments. Uh, But the uh, Times is saying that the man, this guy's name is Hawk Newsom, has no relationship with the official organization, despite using the name for his own group. All right, now we get to the rundown. Story number one, (laughs) the president of the United States came out into the White House briefing room, and he hailed what he called spectacular news. And it is good news, good news on the economy, far better than expected. 4.8 million jobs added in the month of June. And the president was quick to point out this is the largely monthly job gain in American history. I haven't double-checked that, but presumably uh, somebody told him that was true. It brings the uh, unemployment rate down from just over 13% to 11.1%, the president said, The stock market is soaring and the market was up uh, several hundred points uh, as the last time I checked. Um, And look, he'd be accused of political malpractice if he didn't trumpet these numbers, so to speak. Uh, I think it's a great thing for the country. I do have to point out, not to be a downer, that the country lost more than 40 million jobs because of the coronavirus shutdown. And now this is a good down payment. It's a good first step toward getting some of those jobs back. It was always expected that some of these jobs would come back when the country started to reopen. The president took a veiled shot at Joe Biden, saying, well, first he said, well, you know, no other president could have done this. And he said, if you want to raise taxes, which Biden would in part, your 401ks would drop down to nothing and your stock market will drop down to nothing. Bit of hyperbole there. And then he had to talk about the virus because, you know, the, the reason the economy has been in the toilet has been because of COVID-19. He said, well, this was formed in China. They could have stopped it. Uh, He talked about temporary hotspots. He says that Mike Pence talked to the governors. They don't need anything for the federal government because the federal government has um, um, provided so much in the way of medical equipment. And um, if it hadn't been for his actions, you know, Shutting off uh, travel from China, we would have lost millions of lives. But we have lost, what is it, more than 128,000 lives? Um, And it's interesting because we set another record yesterday. This is the sad part of the news. The sad part of the news is um, that for the fifth day in just over a week, this time new cases of the coronavirus in the United States of America got to 52,000. Every day, it seems, I'm saying to you, wow, it's a new record, it's a new record, it's a new record, because they keep going up. Uh, Washington Post says that these infections have surged nearly 50% in June. Many of the job gains may have been before this latest two-week surge. And several states moving to reimpose restrictions on bars and recreation. More than 800,000 new cases reported across the country last month, led by Florida, Arizona, Texas, and California. Uh, bringing the overall total to 2.6 million. So there's an effort here. Let me skip ahead to this Politico story. States emerging from the coronavirus stay at home orders this spring had a roadmap to safety at their fingertips. Much of it was never put in place or was largely ignored. The alarming surge in coronavirus cases now spreading across the country is less a surprise than a tragically predictable national. I told you so moment. Uh, Here's a former Obama guy. Court is saying every uh, state was allowed to go off and do their own activities. A lot of states opened up when the trends were going the wrong way. Now, look, it is certainly fair to point out in the case of Arizona and um, Texas, and Florida, that, that, that they imposed fewer they were late in imposing restrictions. They were quicker in opening earlier, and therefore you could make the case, along with the fact that a lot of people, particularly younger people, aren't, aren't following the social distancing, um, that they um, are simply um, did the wrong thing. But the problem is California. With Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom was one of the first states to impose severe restrictions, was one of the last states to open up, and it's surging there too, so it doesn't fit into the nice, neat little box uh, that some journalists would like to put it in. Meanwhile, on the mass debate, uh, this happened after the podcast, so late in the afternoon yesterday, the president did an interview with Fox Business Network, and I think we are going to be very good with the coronavirus. I think that at some point that's just going to sort of disappear, I hope why he's still talking about disappearing and enabled several news programs to just play the whole history of him saying back to February, back to March, back to April, it'll be gone soon, it's a few cases, it'll be over by April, we hope it'll be to reopen by Easter. And he's again saying, he says, I hope, yes. But why is he saying it will fade away? But at least there's projects on the mass. I talked at length yesterday about Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, including Kevin McCarthy, um have kind of probably broken with the president on the mask thing. So Blake Berman of Fox Business asked the president about this. President said, well, they don't have to be made mandatory. But he said, um, I would wear a mask. In fact, I have worn a mask. I would wear a mask if I was in a group of people and I was close. He said, actually, I had a mask on. I I liked the way I looked. OK, I thought it was OK. It was a dark black mask and I thought it looked OK. It looked like the Lone Ranger. So Uh, I guess he's not directing that to Tonto, but the Lone Ranger. A lot of you younger listeners have no idea what the Lone Ranger, but he was a famous television character. And the president now identifying with him as he donned his black mask, but not in public. Meanwhile, McDonald's is delaying the reopening of restaurants across the country because of these latest figures. All right, story number two uh, continues to be a very hot story having to do with uh, the Russian bounties being paid to. There's more and more evidence every day that this has happened, that this is happening. New York Times has a piece actually naming the guy who was a former drug smuggler. Um, in Afghanistan, he started traveling to Russia. I can't pronounce his first name. His last name is Azizi. He's now a central piece of the puzzle, according to American intelligence reports confirmed by Afghan officials, says the Times, as a key middleman who for years handed out money from the Russian military intelligence unit to reward reward Taliban-linked fighters for targeting American troops in Afghanistan. They named this guy. They said there was a raid on one of his houses in Kabul, and they found a half a million dollars in cash. This was confirmed through a dozen interviews with U.S. and Afghan officials. He's the middleman. He's the guy. He was the paymaster. Some of these were multiple payments involving hundreds of thousands of dollars. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reports the White House is not planning an immediate response to these intelligence reports about Russian bounties because they don't believe the reports are actionable, according to two senior administration officials. Trump is not convinced, as the Post, he should do anything about the bounty issue. Which he decried in a tweet um, yesterday as just another made up by fake news tale that is only doing to, that is told only to damage me and the Republican Party. Uh, Now, I don't get this because it goes on to say that Robert O'Brien, he's the national security advisor, he thought the information was credible enough to warn the Pentagon and, and American allies such as Britain to make sure they had enough measures in place to protect their forces in Afghanistan. So And he's he's asked the Justice Department to open a leak investigation. So they're concerned about the leak. I get that. But if the situation is awful enough that you're notifying American allies and you're notifying uh, the CIA and you're notifying our military forces in Afghanistan, why would you not notify the president of the United States? And this gets into the semantic game. Apparently, he insists, and there's been nothing to contradict this, that he wasn't orally briefed. Now, why that was, I don't fully understand. But, but the Times has reported, and the White House has been very careful not to contradict this. They use briefing as a kind of a shorthand for briefing by, by mouth, by somebody sitting down in the Oval and briefing him. But it was in the president's daily brief, the presidential daily brief of written document the president gets every day in February, possibly on February 27th. Nobody has denied that. So that's where things stand. White House still says this is uncorroborated. Don't go anywhere. More meter coming your way in just a moment. All right. Story number three. You know, there's this whole uh, mounting um, ad boycott that is really starting to be a black eye for Facebook. And I will skip ahead here and tell you about this Reuters story that ads for more than 400 brands, including Starbucks, including Coca-Cola, including Honda, many others, have vanished from Facebook yesterday. There was the last-minute talks that stopped the boycott. It didn't happen. Mark Zuckerberg has now agreed to meet with the organizers of this boycott, according to a spokeswoman. One of the groups, the Anti-Defamation League, said the meeting will happen next Monday or Tuesday. It was This whole effort was started by various civil rights groups, including Color to Change. ADL is part of it. Um, NAACP is part of it. Color Up Change, excuse me. So this leads me to an interesting uh, op-ed piece in the Times by Kara Swisher, who has been a one of the world's most one of the country's most prominent digital journalists for decades now. Worked for the Wall Street Journal, worked for the Washington Post, now writes a piece for the Times. Had a company called All Things Digital, and she is saying, in almost like an open letter to Mark Zuckerberg. I'm writing to you, uh, Zuckerberg, with the irritation of a mother whose last nerves were worked a long time ago when it comes to the abuses that thrive on your platform. I'd like you to know, she says, you get zero claps for doing a tiny right thing after doing the wrong thing for far too long. Last week, you announced you were finally labeling the most egregious dreck. That's a technical term. The most egregious dreck that is broadcast on Facebook by President Trump. Okay, so she's not a fan of the president after years of escalating behavior, but it's too little too late. Well, what about other people's dreck? What about other hate speech? Uh, look, I agree. Facebook is always sort of playing catch-up. Well, we're looking at over. You know, well, we're going to institute new measures. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Always sort of playing catch-up. Uh, I agree with that. I've criticized Facebook many times for this. Um, uh, you're trying now, she says, to persuade advertisers not to boycott your company. The movement's called Stop the Hate for Profit. Uh, Kara Swisher goes on to say, for her personally, it is time to go. After years of inertia and not much use of Facebook, this week I finally took the first big steps toward leaving, deactivating my personal page and unpublishing my brand page. This was a many-click process in which my decision was questioned by Facebook's pop-ups. A lot more than I wanted my decision to be questioned. Are you sure? Are you really sure? I'm likely soon to delete the pages altogether, along with my Instagram account. That's obviously owned by Facebook. Once I figure out what to do with the material living there, like boxes in a digital attic. She says, uh, I don't feel safe on Facebook. I don't find Facebook useful. Now, it's not that thousands and thousands of people are going to suddenly do what Kara Swisher did, but she's a really important voice, um, liberal voice to be sure, but a really important voice in the digital news world. And so that's why I share it with you. Story number four. Uh, Speaking of Facebook and Twitter, as we have been, I mentioned yesterday there's a new social media site. It's not that new, but it's getting a lot of traction with conservatives. It's called Parler. Uh, Political reports that dozens of Republican lawmakers have been joining Parler because they're pissed off at Twitter, in particular, and feel that they're biased against the right. Uh, At least 32 Republican members of Congress have now set up accounts on Parler, Uh, most of them doing so in the last weeks and even days. This includes Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, all those senators, and some big tech critics in the House, including Kevin McCarthy, Minority Leader ne- Devin Nunes, Matt Gates, Ken Buck. Uh, conservative politicians have turned to the platform, which bills itself as an unbiased substitute for the likes of Facebook and Twitter. But what's happening, this is fascinating, is Parler is also seeing an uptick in imposter accounts over the last few weeks. 11 different Republican congressional offices telling Politico, there are new pages on the site that are, that are fake, that are wrongly purporting to be the accounts of people like Senator John Thune, Lindsey Graham, Ben Sasse, uh, and congressmen like Dan Crenshaw and uh, Adam Kinzinger. For example, the phony, real Senator Graham uh, account uh, introduces himself, whoever this person is, with a post that uh, says, well, kiss my grits and call me Lindsey, I'm on parlor. I don't approve of this. This is BS. You know, why are they doing this? You know, to to make life difficult, to confuse people. It's really crap. Parler should do what Facebook and, uh, and Twitter try to do, which is get rid of fake accounts. And allowing anonymous accounts, which Twitter also does, I think is asking for trouble. You should make people confirm with their real names. And they should prove who they are. But uh, it just shows you, I guess, if Parler wasn't getting more popular... These fake imposters wouldn't bother to do this. And finally, story number five, I am just fascinated. There's a food blogger whose name is Deb Perlman, and she writes uh, on the Times op page about what's happening with schools this fall. And here's what she says. The upshot is that my children, and this is what she heard from the New York school that her kids attend, will be able to physically attend school about one out of every three weeks because they, they want a social distance and so they're going to take turns and all that. I'm hearing that as a possibility for many schools across the country. And the media are covering this, but not from this perspective. At the same time, she says, many adults, at least the lucky ones, who've held on to their jobs are supposed to be back at work as the economy reopens. What's confusing to me is that these two plans are moving forward at pace without any consideration of the working parents who will be ground up in the gears when they collide. Deb Perlman writes, let me say the quiet part out loud. In the COVID-19 economy, you're only allowed a kid or a job. Why isn't anyone talking about this? She says, why are we not hearing a primal scream so deafening that no plotting policy can be implemented without addressing the people buried by it? Why am I, a food blogger best known for such hits as the all-butter, really flaky pie dough, sounding the alarm on this? I think it's because when you're homeschooling all day, and not performing the work you are hired to do until the wee hours of the morning, and doing it for 106 days, not that anyone's counting, you might be a bit too fried to funnel your rage effectively. She says, I have been muttering about this in group texts and secret Facebook groups for moms and massed encounters when I bump into a parent friend on the street. We need to be making more noise. And this is a real problem. I mean, the economy can't really come roaring back Unless the kids are in school, uh, look, I understand. And she acknowledges this. You know, is it safe for kids to go back to school? What's the plan? But the part-time thing, it doesn't really take into account that parents, lucky enough to have jobs, particularly if they have to work at home or not. If they don't have to work at home, how do you watch kids are home once every three weeks, once every two weeks, alternating days? It just is a giant collision course. Um, and so Deb Perlman says, um, the first she talks very personally here first few weeks of the school closures and the business closures were jaw-clenchingly stressful. I'm self-employed, work full-time from home, so that part required no transition, but I needed to use the flexibility to ensure that my husband, who normally would have been in his office, didn't miss miss a meeting or a call or an email. But then her husband was furloughed. He took over the homeschooling, and basically everything else, she says, is I became the sole breadwinner. Last week, he was fully laid off. So I agree. This is... Uh, a looming crisis that will hit hard in September. Now, look, may, many schools may go back full-time. Others may go, go to full virtual learning. Many colleges haven't figured out what they're going to do. Others are trying to come to this sort of split course. The, and this is not whining. I mean, this is necessary for the economic recovery to continue. You can't put parents... You can't squeeze them in this box where they're responsible to help with home learning, for watching their kids, particularly younger kids who can't take care of themselves, and yet they need to be back at work either virtually or in person. Otherwise, the economy is screwed. So I applaud her for speaking out in this fashion. I hope all of you are staying safe. Those of you who have parents, those of you who are parents and have kids in schools, I'm sure you're thinking about this a lot more and been thinking about this for a lot more longer period of time before I brought it up here today. Um, We're happy to talk to you on this podcast. You can subscribe uh, at Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes. A very good way to subscribe if you've got the A-L-E-X-A is to subscribe on your Amazon device. And we'll see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeeters.